Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Helping People Grow podcast. I am John Dennert. I'm the host and the creator of this podcast. And in this episode, we're going to look at the first of the five life-changing conditions that I previewed in, in the last episode, in episode number four. Now, here's a shameless plug. <laughs> I, write, uh, I write a lot about the five life-changing conditions in my book called Helping People Grow, Understanding the Five Conditions for Life Change. And I tell you that for two reasons. If you want to know all about the life-changing conditions, grab a copy of my book. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, But most importantly, over the next 10 episodes, including this one, I'm going to break down some of what I wrote about in the five conditions. I, I just, I can't break it all down because we simply don't have enough time in these episodes, but um, you, you'll get parts of that for sure. So we're going to look at the five conditions, safety, truth, vulnerability, affirmation, and caregiving. And we will also look at the five practices that we use to install those conditions in our relationships. Those five practices are wear it, ask for it, see it and say it, help it, and stick with it. So those are the episodes that are coming. And and I just wanted to lay out the map in front of you so that you can see where we're headed. And I promise that uh, I will help you know where we're at all along the way. Okay, let's jump into this episode on the first life-changing condition called Safety is the Doorway to Life Change. There's an entire genre in film, television, and books about the struggle for survival in a suddenly dangerous world. Of of course, you know it as post-apocalyptic, and it is everywhere. Zombie herds wander the world, mindlessly attacking the living. Pandemic breaks out, decimating the human population. That one's actually a little too close for comfort, right? Uh, Or machines rise up against their human creators. Aliens from space arrive to wipe out humanity and and loot the Earth's natural resources. So I I admit, not necessarily the feel-good entertainment of the day, but as a genre, it is wildly popular. However these stories go, in this genre, something terrible has happened and everything has changed. Something has broken the world, leaving survivors to fight and struggle to recreate a tiny patch of safety in a fallen, dangerous world. So full disclosure, I actually really like this genre. Uh, And I think the reason I like it is because it feels like our story, the story of humankind. For me, this is more than a metaphor. It's actually a picture of the world that we were all born into. Something went wrong. Everything has changed. The world has broken and threats now are normal. In fact, here's how the Bible describes it in Genesis 3. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. So what do we have? We have curses. We have pain. We have thorns and thistles. Those were not intended to be a part of your life. You were made for perfect love in the perfect community with God and his people, and that's just how it was 
until we broke the world. We did it by questioning God's goodness and disobeying him and willfully choosing to go with our plan. All of this means that we were designed and created to live in a world that is not available to us. Not right now, it's not. Safety is what you were created for, but danger is what you got. So it's actually not unreasonable to say that there is something post-apocalyptic about the world that we live in. We are born into danger, but that's not the end of the story. So hang on, because the good part's coming. Our story actually begins, of course, with Adam and Eve, living in God's good pleasure and his full approval. Genesis 2.25 says, The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I guess you could say Adam and Eve were naked and unafraid. But that language, it doesn't work so well for most of us. We are way more comfortable with the fully clothed and feel no shame version of the world. But again, that's how it was when the world was just right. For Adam and Eve, there was nothing obstructing the truth about the other. They needed no cover because there was no jeopardy in life at this point. In fact, in some uses of the Hebrew phrase, no shame, it actually means to have no barrier. Adam and Eve had no barrier in the most literal sense because there was no need to conceal or hide anything. They each had complete, intimate knowledge of the other and total acceptance from one another. This is what you and your loved ones were made for, to thrive in a world where you're fully known and fully loved. It's simply the consummate human experience, and that's what this snapshot in Genesis 2 really shows us. Years ago, I, I wrote something um, actually quite painful in my journal. I wrote... Fear and danger were my natural habitat growing up. Now, here's what I meant. Here's what, here's what I was getting at when I wrote that. As I came into thoughtful consciousness as a young boy, one of the first things I realized is that my little world was unpredictable and precarious and angry and hostile and, and actually painful in many ways because that's what it was like to grow up as the only son in my alcoholic father's house. At some point early on, my, my father realized I wasn't going to be the son that he longed for. And that's when the relational danger spiked for me. I Honestly, I, I can't conjure a single memory related to my dad that isn't connected to some form of ridicule or disappointment or, or actual physical pain. Those are simply my dominant emotional memories of him. In fact, most of my childhood memories are, are connected to a deep fear that something would happen that would cause him to pay attention to me. With my dad, I learned it was safest to be invisible and forgotten. I drew conclusions about myself because of my father. It was always risky to be me around him, and so I decided to become someone else, at least on the outside. With his message of, of uh, like disappointment playing on loop in my mind, I buried my real self, and I became aggressive and mean and violent, and, and I also became a black belt at observation, constantly cycling through the same set of questions wherever I was. What's the emotional temperature here? How do people view me? What gets celebrated and condemned in this place? What gets rewarded and what gets punished? 
guided by my answers to those questions, I, I hid my true self away and I mastered the fine arts of self-protection and performance. I learned to become whoever I needed to be wherever I was. It just felt too risky not to put on some made-up version of who I was. Well, sadly, I carried all of that pathology with me into adulthood. Even today, I push back against what feels like an emotional allergy, stemming from a soul conflict between who I should be and who I really am. It's exhausting to compete against the anxiety of a fake life. That, my friends, is how danger flooded into my small world. Life under the curse had begun for me. Now, I probably don't have to ask you to imagine your life with relational threats because no one lives free of those. I don't know a single person who doesn't feel relational danger from time to time. Sometimes, you know, a lack of safety can be slight, you know, and benign, uh, maybe even a little ambient. I could give you a bunch of examples of low safety scenarios that are fairly run-of-the-mill, fairly minor. But there are other times when violations of safety reach deeply into our hearts. Just think this through a little bit. Like, when have you felt like it's not okay to be yourself around someone or around a group of people? When have you been outright mistreated or hurt? How about those times when you decided it was best not to let someone in on a risky aspiration, a personal celebration, or, or even a painful memory? Maybe you've been tempted to live behind a propped up version of yourself to keep people from seeing who you really are. If you relate to any of this, it's because deep relational threats are common in life. Some people know danger through betrayal by family or close friends. This is the terrible switch out that happens when loyalty and love are suddenly replaced with deceit and unfaithfulness or, or like outright hurtfulness. When this goes down, it's easy to think, I must never allow this to happen again. Nearly everyone I know has felt some form of disapproval from others, and that, that disapproval might come from a parent, uh, a lifelong friend, or a group of coworkers. Unfortunately, many even confess feeling judged and condemned in the churches that we belong to. And quite often, the underlying message passed along in all of this is, you are not enough. You're not tough enough. You're not responsible enough. You're not smart enough. You're not ladylike enough. You're not faithful enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not strong enough. You're not orthodox enough. Whatever. If that message had a voice, it would say, you are incomplete in your current version. And I wish you were different. You disappoint me. There are many more examples I could give you, as many as there are people. We could talk about conditional acceptance, abandonment, shaming, public humiliation or correction even, transactional relationships, bullying, neglect, rejection, or outright abuse in all its forms and degrees of severity. But now a moment of severe honesty. The danger that I released into relationships for decades was sarcasm, and I still have to pay attention to that today. One way to think about sarcasm is that it's a way to say whatever you want, especially angry and, and really hurtful, awful things, and get away with it through humor. When people called me on my toxic sarcasm, 
um, I would say, I'm being sarcastic. It's a joke. I'm kidding. I wanted them to believe the problem was their inability to take a joke, not the hurtful words I'd just spoken. The atrocity of my sarcasm, though, was that I could dump really, really awful messages on people without being held responsible. I spoke the hurtful words. People received them. And then I walked away without taking damage because I got a laugh. A number of years ago, I was in a counseling session with two of my adult sons. And honestly, I, I was just being my normal, sarcastic self. And the, the counselor noticed it casually, skillfully. And he said, wow, you've got quite a sarcastic wit. And I, I took it as a compliment. And I said, yeah, I guess so. It's, it's kind of worked for me in life. And that's when the bottom fell out. One of my sons looked me in the eyes. And he said, yeah. Well, your sarcasm has never worked for me. And my other son took it way further. He said, your sarcasm has hurt me my whole life. And then we went on and we talked about the deep wounds that I had inflicted on my boys. I realized in that moment, one of the, quote, life skills I had relied on my whole life had flooded my family with threat and risk. It was actually dangerous for my sons to be themselves because of the awful, sarcastic messages that I spoke into their lives. Friends, can you see that the list of relational threats is vast and common to us all? Do you understand that every single person you love feels the historical sum of the vulnerabilities they've suffered in life? Can you fathom the reality that in some way we store these experiences within us as a primitive autonomic reality, and then we live our lives in response to all that history? Please hear me in this. Relational danger is the great threat of the human soul. Many years ago, I discovered a little book called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, a memoir by the French writer Jean-Dominique Bobby. In his prologue, Bobby describes his body as a diving bell after a massive stroke rendered his brainstem useless. A diving bell is an iron chamber that carries divers to the bottom of the ocean, which is also the most dangerous and isolating place on the planet for humans. The result for Bobby was a condition called locked-in syndrome, total paralysis from head to toe with no ability to speak and complete loss of motor function. Mercifully, though, his one lifeline to the world was his ability to blink his left eye. And so one blink at a time, he dictated letters and wrote words and composed sentences and crafted paragraphs and ultimately finished this amazing gift of a book. And in doing that, Bobby gave us a glimpse into his life, but he also gave us a metaphor that reached beyond his malady. You see, locked-in syndrome isn't just a physical condition. It's also an affliction of the human heart. Becoming unsafe in the world of people can lock us into a kind of isolation that feels like an iron chamber at the bottom of the sea. That's what a diving bell is. We were never meant to live isolated from others. And that is the great tragedy that occurs when relational safety is lost. 
After they chose to sin, Adam and Eve felt the shame of their sinfulness. They covered themselves and they fled from God. They ran from perfect love in the perfect community straight toward the isolation of the very first diving bell. Without safety, fear becomes our iron barrier as we attempt to shield ourselves against perceived judgment and condemnation, rejection, punishment, and any number of other relational penalties, we begin to believe it's safest to stay locked inside our internal world and keep who we are to ourselves. When we live long enough under that threat, our emotional flinch keeps us hidden and unknown, and our focus turns to survival and pain management. This has been a global epidemic for as long as we have walked the earth. The shame and jeopardy that took root in Adam and Eve, it just passed genetically to the hearts of their boys, Cain and Abel. That second generation, it was infected with insecurity, jealousy, and anger as Cain gave in to sibling rivalry, and he murdered Abel in calculated rage. The outbreak had begun. The emotional pandemic then traced its way through recorded history from one human heart to another, even to my own. I not only lived fearfully under the threat of a disappointed alcoholic father, I passed that fear along to my own sons in the form of cruel sarcasm. That, my friends, is how emotional threat works. Infected by fear and worries of vulnerability, we resort to self-protective behavior and unwittingly or not, spread relational risk to those around us, the pathogen Satan used to drive us from perfect love and perfect community has infected the human heart. And now we simply pass it back and forth to each other. Well, anybody ready for some good news? I bet you are. So here it is. Safety heals the human heart. Or at the very least, it is the essential first ingredient in that healing process. Safety is what we feel when we believe we're known and understood and then loved and accepted without conditions or judgment. When our hearts are convinced of that, we move toward trust and openness with people who create safety, and we move away from people who jeopardize it. Our healthy tendency is always to choose safety if that option is open to us. You can be the one who creates safety for those you love. And that safety makes all the difference. Here in San Diego, we have the world-famous San Diego Zoo. Maybe you've heard of it. It's world-famous. Uh, lesser known, but equally amazing, is the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, way out in rural East County. What I love about the Safari Park is that park designers have created these massive open areas to replicate as best as they can the, the natural habitat of the, of the animals. Uh, in one attraction, uh, guests ride a tram around the entire perimeter of those habitats as the guide describes the animals and, and their behaviors. And honestly, it, it kind of gives you just a tiny hint of that Jurassic Park feel. Well, as I visited the park and rode the tram, what stood out to me over and over again was the phrase circles of safety that is used by our guide. As I visited the park and rode the tram, what stood out to me over and over again 
was the phrase circles of safety used by our guide to describe all the different groupings of animals. And, and so he would say things like, on your left, oh, you know, down by the watering hole, our oryx graze in a circle of safety. And then we'd go a little bit further and he'd, and he'd say, on the top of the next hill, uh, you see a herd of Garanek resting in their circle of safety. Go further again. And he would say, in the next valley, a pack of lowland dachshunds cluster in a circle of safety. Just kidding about the dachshunds, but not kidding about the circles of safety. Nearly every species we saw that day settled naturally in vigilant, outwardly facing circles to create a collective environment of safety for everybody. Humans were made to live in circles of safety as well. These circles are a necessity, not a luxury. Every one of us has a vulnerable side. It's a side we can't see or defend. If we feel threatened, we can turn and face that threat, but all we're really doing is pointing our vulnerability away from danger. We cannot be our own refuge because we can't have our own backs. To be human is to be vulnerable. So it's no wonder we feel disoriented and out of sorts when we feel isolated. Because on our own, we spend endlessly through life trying to keep our vulnerable side away from the threats that make up our world. Now, what makes us different from the animal world is that our threats are mostly relational, hence emotional. And even though they originate externally, we feel them internally. So we still need circles of safety. But in our circles, in our safe communities, we face our threats best when we turn toward each other. Unlike the safari park animals, we find safety in vigilant, inwardly facing circles where we become known and loved. These are the communities where we place our vulnerabilities in the hands of safe people who then watch our backs for us while we also watch theirs. And friends, safety is the connective tissue of the relationships that make these circles work. We don't have time to cover this right now, but in my book, I walk through how our bodies are neurologically hardwired to seek out and find safe people in communities. It's what the human body wants to do naturally. Um, I quote uh, psychologist Ellen Boder, who explains that we have an imperative for safety deeply wired into our minds and our bodies. I write about what happens in our lives when we cooperate with that imperative, like how we de-escalate from just survive mode and we settle into thrive mode. I also write about how safe doesn't mean pain-free, but it does mean secure. In fact, the security of safety actually allows us to go through the naturally occurring pain and discomfort of growth. Growth always comes with struggle. The path to competence runs through incompetence. We always do a new thing badly before we do it well. All of that struggle and incompetence is painful, but safe people help us walk through that pain. And then I write about the undeniable embedded messages of safety and how those messages motivate our forward progress. These are messages like, you're worth a big effort to me. You're not on your own. We're in this together. I start with you, not with me. And there are a number of other big ideas I write about. But let me just finish this episode with the biggest idea of all. Jesus created safety first. He laid aside his divine privilege, became a servant, and humbled himself, dying on the cross 
to make sure that our ultimate safety was secure. In doing that, he simply lived out his identity as the good shepherd saying yes to his love for all of us. Jesus is the perfect leader. He went first. It was his life for ours. He stood between us and our ultimate threat, and now he calls us to lead the same way, telling us to love each other as I have loved you. So much of our culture elevates the worst kind of human greed and pride, but that's not what Jesus modeled. He showed us that leadership is not a step up. It's a step down into the lives of followers. Healthy, generous leading is not someone's chance to get more. It's a chance to give people what they need the most. And this spotlights the core struggle of the human heart because creating the right conditions, friends, it requires sacrifice and work and time and energy. If you work to become this kind of person, it will cost you something. Marine Corps General George Flynn, he says, the cost of leadership is self-interest. And this is absolutely the right thing to live out if you want to help your loved ones change and grow. If Jesus matters to you and if, if you have committed your life to follow him, then you are most like him when you create safety first. If there are people who matter to you, you give them the best chance at transformation when you lead like Jesus. Those you love and lead have great potential to live immobilized by their fears. Even when Jesus opens growth paths for us and the Holy Spirit shines a spotlight on those paths, we can remain unwilling to take next steps. You can change all that. You can come alongside your loved ones and simply say, let's go together. And that can be enough to get them moving. Even an appealing future can feel terrifying when we have to walk that journey alone. But then again, we were never supposed to. I cannot overstate this. I cannot make a big enough deal out of this. Safety is almost always the place to start or restart with any kind of life-changing community. It is only through relational safety that we get anywhere near the other four life-changing conditions. Safety is the doorway to everything else. It's not enough on its own, but it makes all the other life-changing conditions come alive and work. This is what we offer through Circles of Safety. When we do this, we become partners with Jesus and push back against the dangers of our broken world. Well, friends, that's going to be it for this episode. But in the next episode, we will see how safety leads us to live in the truth. Thank you so much for listening and count on my prayers as you take next steps to create your own circles of safety. Friends, if this was helpful to you and you want to help me spread this message, all you have to do is hit follow on your favorite podcast listening platform. But most importantly, you can invite friends and a family to this podcast simply by sending them a link. Thank you so much.